very much and please be seated. In fact, the truth of the word of God is that victory is already won, right? Uh, there is an old song and I, it's, it was called On the Victory Side. And there was another one called We Are More Than Conquerors and we praise the Lord for that. Sometimes we don't think that way and sometimes we don't live that way, but we are. We're more than conquerors. All right, let's open our Bibles. You should have them right there handy. Matthew 2. Um, Last week we looked at the the account of the journey of the wise men and the lessons that we could learn from that. And then today we're going to pick it up there and then hopefully next Sunday, Lord willing, we'll we'll get back to the book of Luke and look at the next um, chronological event in the life of the Lord Jesus. All right, so let's pray. And then we'll get into our message for this morning. Father in heaven, we thank thee for thy word. We're thankful that it covers all things. We're thankful that, as the psalmist said, thy commandment is exceeding broad. And and that meaning that it covers every area, every issue, every question, um, anything that we need to know, we can find it in thy precious word. Father, I pray... For the help of the Holy Spirit this morning as we're dealing with a passage that is certainly not pleasant, but reminds us of the evil that's in the world. And we're thankful, dear Lord, for the promise that one day Jesus Christ will put down all enemies, including death. And we thank thee for that, that we have that to look forward to. Father, we pray that thou would help us in the sense that Jesus meant it when he said, Blessed are the peacemakers. Lord, help us to truly be peacemakers in these days that we might be used of thee to help bring reconciliation between sinners and thyself. And so, Lord, guide us today in thy word, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's obvious that there are many wicked people in this world, and they cause a lot of suffering. Um, As I was going through this passage and thinking about Herod, and we talked a little bit about him, Last week, remember what kind of man Herod was? He had ten wives, and he had one of his wives executed, as well as his three older sons, because he felt that they were conspiring against him. And today we would say that he suffered from a great case of uh, paranoia. He was always thinking that everybody was out to get him. Uh, But he was a very wicked, wicked man. And I could not help, I couldn't help think about the parallel between Herod and many of the rulers or leaders in our country today, uh, starting from the president. I, I don't know if we've ever had a president with such a wicked agenda as this one. And of course, if anything happens to him, then it's going to be worse if Mr. Mr. whatever she is, Harris takes over. Um, and we know there's a lot of wickedness there, a lot of wickedness. Um, I probably, if I were to list the questions by way of frequency, uh, probably the most, the question I'm asked the most is, why is there so so much wickedness in the world? If there's a God, why does He not put an end to the wickedness? And He's going to. But I used to think that it was a real complicated answer, but it's really not. According to the Scriptures, some very simple principles that I think will help us. Number one, God gave every human being a will of His or her own. Man has the capacity to make choices. One of the things that is involved in man being created in the image of God is that man has volition. 
which means the capability of choosing, making decisions. Now the Bible also says that God is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all come, come to repentance. And so God wants everyone to believe in him, to love him, to serve him, to do good works, and to be kind to his fellow man. However, God desires us to do these things because we want to, not because we're forced to. Um, that would not be love if we did it because God made everybody to do that. Um, we are not robots, and I've used this a lot of times. In fact, when somebody asks me why there's evil, I go right through this. I'll go to the scriptures and go right back to God's creation and how it was good and perfect and very good, and then how evil came, and in fact, it started with the angels in heaven. God gave them volition. God gave them a will, and they chose Lucifer and one-third of the angels chose to rebel against God. And then, of course, they brought that rebellion to earth and brought Adam and Eve to disobedience and so on. Um, God allows man to choose his own way many times. Uh, many follow a path of hatred, cruelty, violence, and even murder. I was reading in Psalm 119, just this morning, the psalmist talks about being in horror because of those that forsake thy law. And in that passage, he's talking about people that today we would call terrorists. And we are, there's fear when we think about the evil that is being done, especially when it's done in the name of religion. And so I also tell people this, that I mentioned that verse that God is long-suffering. So God is allowing the evil people to have opportunity to come to Christ as their Savior and then turn away from their wickedness and all those things. And then there's one thing that we must remember. God sees all and God knows all and there is a judgment coming. And so every human being will one day uh, stand before God and, and I tell people too that there is no justice like God's justice. And God will repay. God said, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. So yes, God allows some evil things to happen and it causes pain. And so we're going to take a look at some of these things today. We're looking this morning at Herod's murderous plan. Of course, that was his plan uh, to get rid of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the first part of his plan was thwarted by the wise men um, because God sent them home a different way. And so Herod was not able to go there and carry out his evil plan. And so we want to take a look at basically three things today. Number one, God's shelter of his son. God's sheltering of his son. Verse 13, And when they were departed, that is the wise men, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take uh, the young child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And of course, that's God appeared to Joseph and told him this, to get out of, get out of Bethlehem because of what Herod was going to do. Some have suggested that the gifts that they gave to Christ may have financed that journey to Egypt. I see no reason to doubt that. Anyway, they went. Verse 14, when he arose. Um, it's interesting that in chapter number 1, the angel said to Joseph, Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. The Bible says Joseph, being raised from sleep, did 
as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife. Chapter 2, when he arose, verse 14. So Joseph obeyed God. And there's, he is probably, probably, and rightly so, doesn't get as much attention as Mary or even Jesus in this whole account. But you know, Joseph had a big part in what's going on here by through his obedience. And so there's a great lesson. Whenever God spoke to Joseph, Joseph obeyed. Right. And so he arose, verse 14, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which is spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Now let's go back to, let's take a look at a couple prophecies. So the revelation comes to Joseph. He, he readily obeys. Then there's a, a relation to prophecy. Notice in Numbers 24. Numbers chapter 24. We looked at this part of this chapter last week regarding the journey of the wise men. Uh, Numbers 24 starting in verse 5. And again this is Balaam of the false prophet who in the sovereignty of God was compelled uh, to tell the truth. And so he did. And how godly, or goodly rather, are thy tents, O Jacob, Numbers 24, 5, and thy tabernacles, O Israel, as the valleys are as the valleys are they spread forth as gardens by the riverside, as the trees of line aloes which the Lord hath planted, and as cedar trees beside the waters. And all of these in those days were symbols of blessing prosperity. He shall pour the water out of his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters, and his king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. God brought him forth out of Egypt. He hath, as it were, the strength of a unicorn. By the way, in the Bible, a unicorn is probably a wild ox or a rhinoceros. He shall eat up the nations, his enemies, and shall break their bones, and pierce them through with his arrows. And so that's, a, that's a, talking about what God did in bringing Egypt out of, I mean, Israel out of Egypt, and then, of course, one day that he would bring his son. But the, the main prophecy is found in Hosea chapter 11. Hosea is right after Daniel. Um, Daniel, and then we have Hosea. Take a look at Hosea chapter 11, where the Bible speaks of Jesus prophetically. Um, Hosea chapter 11 and verse 1. When Israel was a child, then I loved him. Now there, we have three pictures here. The first one is Jacob. When Jacob was a child, then I loved him. What does the Bible say? Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Right? And called my son out of Egypt. And so uh, Jacob, the children of Israel, of course, that nation named after Jacob's new name, Israel. Which, by the way, is a picture of the Christian. We're not what we were. You know, we had the old self and the old person and the old name, and now we have a new name. I have, you know, like the hymn writer. There's a new name written down glory, and it's mine. Oh, yes, it's mine. And one of the blessings about being in other countries, being in Liberia, 
for example, was that when someone gets saved over there, they often change their name. They change, some of them have Muslim names like Muhammad and different things like that. When they get saved, they'll change their names. Like Jesse and Samuel and Philemon and different ones like that. Because they want to they wanna forget their past. And then they want to embrace their new, the, new, the newness of life that they have in Christ. Well then thirdly, of course, is a reference to the Lord Jesus. God called him out of Egypt. God called him, Joseph, to leave Bethlehem, to shelter his son. And then, of course, we'll see later on in Matthew chapter 1 that God directed Joseph back into the land of Israel. And I thought, as I was reading about this, what is the significance? Let's go back to Matthew chapter 2. Why did God do these things? Um, why did God write all these things ahead of time? In prophecy, and I thought about that. I prayed about that. I honestly did. And and the, the answer in my mind was this: because God wants people to believe. You know, the Bible says God so loved the world, and that includes Israel. Let's never forget that. You know, those Pharisees and those Sadducees and the scribes and the chief priests and the rulers, all those people that so despised the Lord Jesus Christ, He loved them. And yet all these things are in Scripture so that when these things were fulfilled, they would realize, yes, this is the Messiah. This is the Christ. All right, back in Matthew 2. So he's there. So then in verse, here we have um, Herod's slaughter of the children. And we can be thankful that Bethlehem was a small town. Thankful that it wasn't the size of Jerusalem. There would have been multiplied more children who were put to death. But I want us to notice some things here. In verse 16, the murder. Verse, then Herod, when he saw he was mocked. In other words, the idea there, when he was found out. When his devilish plan was thwarted. He was exceeding wroth. It wasn't just angry. He was out of his mind angry. And set forth, and they were sent soldiers, and slew all the children. Now the Greek word translated children is in the masculine form. So it means all the baby boys. All the, the male children is the idea. They were in Bethlehem, and all the coast, in other words the surrounding area, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. And so there was there was a murdersome intent and a murdersome plan that was carried out and so all the boys, two years and under, were put to death. Remember Pharaoh back in Egypt made that command to kill all the baby boys. And of course that's when Moses was born and, and God protected Moses and so on. But those babies died. You know the fact that Bethlehem was a small town and then relatively few died. Well, that wasn't much of a consolation to the parents. Verse 17 says, Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy, or Jeremiah the prophet, saying, In Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they are not. Now, let's go to um, Jeremiah 31. That's where this prophecy is taken from Jeremiah, one of the most unique prophecies in all of the Old Testament, and a classic example of how um, 
sorrow and comfort, um, encouragement are all kind of blended together. Look at the the first verse. At that time, at that same time, saith the Lord, will I be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. So there's God's promise that He's going to restore them. He's going to re- He's going to return to them, and they're going to return to Him. And then go with me to verse 15. Thus saith the Lord. A voice was heard in Ramah. Lamentation and bitter weeping. Rahel, or another name for Rachel, weeping for her children, refused to be comforted for her children because they were not. Now, Whenever there's suffering in the Bible related to Israel, we know the answer because of their constant rebellion against the Lord. They were in the situation they were in in the days of Jeremiah because they rebelled against God. They rebelled against one of the greatest men that God ever raised up. One of the greatest prophets ever was Jeremiah. Not only because of his the word that he preached, but because of his his person. You know, Jeremiah was referred to as the weeping prophet. He wept over Israel, and therefore he's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ in weeping over Israel. But you know, they were in the situation they were in because they rebelled against God. And so it's really not difficult to answer the question, why is Israel suffering? Um, why are they suffering today? You know, God, Jesus said, your house is left to you desolate. And house there means temple. And, and today they don't even have a temple. It's because they rejected the Lord. And when they come back to him, he will come back to them. And it'll, it'll be all blessing. But why does it say Rachel? I think there's a couple reasons. Number one, of course, Rachel died bearing Benjamin, but in reality, she was the rebellious wife of Jacob. She's the one that stole the idols and tried to hide them. Um, she's the one that went to Jacob and said, "Give me children, or else I die." There's there's no indication that Rachel was ever a woman of faith. And you know, Jacob's answer: Who, who am I? Am I God? You know. And so there's a there's a thing. That, but I want you to notice something here. The last part of verse 15, we don't want to pass it over. Rahel, or Rachel, weeping for her children, refused to be comforted. Now that's a very important statement. She refused God's comfort because she was rebellious. All right? Refused to be comforted. Kind of like Jacob. He said, I'm going to go to my grave. You know, weeping over Joseph, mourning for my son. And folks, I'll tell you something, that's wrong. That's the wrong attitude. When we refuse anything from God, it's the wrong attitude. So for them to, for her to say, for the Bible to say, they refused to be comforted. That shows their hard heart toward God and they refuse to accept why God allowed it to happen. But on the other hand, we've shared over the past weeks um, of, of people that have gone home to be with the Lord and, and the attitude of their spouses has, has just been amazing. 
know, from Pastor Skeen's losing his wife and saying, God is good every time you see him. God is good. He's keeping me by grace. And I was just amazed when, when Mrs. Moody, Belinda Mooney, were home to be with the Lord and they had the funeral and, and Brother Dale Mooney stood up and gave praise to God. And I mean, it was wonderful, wonderful to see the grace of God. So don't, don't refuse. You know, don't languish in bitterness and in sorrow. You know, by the grace of God, rise above it. They would not. No, I, th- I feel that word refused. I'm just not, nope, I'm just, it's, I'm going to go on in my bitterness and my anger and, and those kinds of things. And so, uh, Jeremiah is a chapter of, or Jeremiah 31 is a chapter of suffering and salvation. Why don't you notice in verse 31, let's, stick, let's stay in Jeremiah for a couple minutes. Verse 31, Behold, the day has come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by, by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law into their in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. And so that new covenant has not been enforced yet. Notice it's not for the Gentiles, it's not for the church, but it's for Israel and Judah. And that's very important because when God says Israel and Judah, he's talking about the divided kingdom being reunited. Okay? And one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, I love it, is Ezekiel 37 with the, the vision of the dry bones and how God brings them together. And one, one stick, you know, for Israel, one, you know, Judah and so on, his companions and Ephraim, and they, they're going to be together, one stick, one king. And so in the same chapter that foretells such suffering, so it tells of great rejoicing and consolation, that new covenant with the house of Israel. So, when commenting on that, when Israel suffers, it is usually, not only usually, but most always, because they were and are in rebellion against God and practiced gross disobedience to his word. Suffering is often a result of the evil intentions of wicked people like Herod. So the, the, the actions and attitudes of, of people, of wicked people, affect other people. I just thought of a verse. I'm going to see if I can find it. Um, I think it's Isaiah 57. But if it's not, I'll just I'll re- remind it. No, oops, wrong page. Yes. Isaiah 57. In verse 1, notice what it says there. Isaiah 57, the righteous, verse 1, the righteous perisheth, and no man layeth it to heart. 
and merciful men are taken away, none considering that the righteous is taken away from the evil to come. Don't for, never forget that. When a believer dies, when a child dies, remember, they're spared from the evil to come. They're spared from a life of suffering and temptation. And they're safe with God. You know, all those little baby boys that were killed in the days of Herod, they're with the Lord now. They were, they went, they were with the Lord immediately. Um, and so sometimes God actually spares people from a worse fate, a worse life. Um, and so we find that even in the case of um, I, I want to find it because it's a, it's I, I meant to put it in my notes and uh, somehow it slipped my mind. Um, anyway, probably can't find it. Let me see. Anyway, there's a there's this passage in the Bible. I, I know it's in Kings, either first or second, where um, the son of one of the kings was was sick, and the prophet went, or that he's the king sent somebody to the prophet. And he told them his son would die. Now it's interesting. The boy was sick and God said the boy will die because there was found in him some good thing toward the God of Israel. And the prophet said he is going to be spared the judgment. See, if we have a biblical perspective on death, whenever a child dies... Or whenever a believer dies, we need to think about that person. They're now they're delivered. They're spared. Um, they're taken out of this evil world, and and we find out that somebody dies. First Kings fourteen thirteen. Oh yeah. Okay. New is for. All right. Let's go there. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you. Thank God sometimes for modern technology. Right. What is it? Fourteen thirteen. Yeah. Okay. Um, Let's take a look at this. And let's look at verse 12, 1 Kings 14, 12. Um, Arise thou therefore, get thee to thine own house. I mean, this is, the, this is Jeroboam, um, Jeroboam's wife. See, all these people, they tried to fool the prophet because um, the prophet was old, and so he disguised his wife, disguised herself, and, and he couldn't see and all that kind of stuff. And he gets there, as soon as the footsteps of this disguised wife gets on the porch, the prophet says, oh, hey, the wife of Jeroboam, <laughs> what are you doing here? <laughs> I've got bad news for you. Let's go on. Um, verse 12, Arise thou therefore, get thee to thine own house, and when the f- thy feet enter into the city, the child shall die. And all, and all Israel shall mourn for him and bury him, for he only of Jeroboam shall come to the grave, because in him there is found some good thing toward the Lord God of Israel in the house of Jeroboam. So, to this young man, death was a reward because he was spared. Alright? So that's basically the point that Isaiah was making in Isaiah 57. And my dear wife has, has a custom, whatever you want to call it, whenever she hears about a believer dying, she says, he or she, they're the lucky one. We're the ones. <laughs> they're left behind. And, and, I, and really, I don't think I um, ever have mourned for the person 
I, I mourned for my, myself when Brother Jesse was taken home suddenly. Um, I was, man, I just bro I broke my heart. I spent almost a whole day just shocking, tried to tell people. I couldn't even tell people. I bawled my head off. But I thought, you know what? That's not for him. That's for us. That's for the shock, for the loss. Anyway, so suffering is often a result of the evil intentions of wicked people. And yes, whether it's fair or not, other people are affected. Innocent people suffer because of the wicked. Right? And, and many, many Christians, millions of Christians since the first century have paid the price for other people's wickedness. They've been martyred, they've been murdered. By the way, something to pray about. I think I mentioned it Wednesday night. Talk to Pastor Philemon. There's pretty good, he's convinced uh, that Jesse's death was not an accident. They, he's convinced he was poisoned deliberately because there's a man over there who pretended to be a friend and tried to wiggle his way into the ministry. And Jesse fell for, or, you know, accepted it for all. And Brother Philemon, which is usually, it's weird, it's usually the other way around. Jesse's always advising others to be careful and watching over them. Well, Philemon said, Brother Jesse, I, there's something wrong with that man. Don't trust him. And so then shortly after that, the man invited Jesse to his house, fed him a meal, next day he dies. So um, there's nobody over there probably to do an autopsy. But anyway, so the, the people suffer because of the evil of others. All right? When we suffer, we should trust more in the Lord, knowing that the best is yet to come. And as Paul wrote, for to me, to, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I really think that as believers, we can kind of gauge the level of our spirituality by how we, what we think of death, right? And so um, we need to have a biblical attitude and realize that death for the Christian is not punishment unless we're, you know, taken out of this world because we're living in sin. But anyway, but it is a reward. Paul said to die is gain. Because think of what a believer gains. Anyway, um, I was at a funeral yesterday, and for, for Lee Poston, who went home to be with the Lord, served God for many years. And the service, if there, were, if there ever was a happy funeral, it was his. It was all about God's goodness and God's grace and God's blessing. And everybody's so thankful that he was delivered from years of cancer and all kinds of heart issues and all kinds of medical things. His, his body just broke down. But now, you know, he's with the Lord. All right, let's go back to, to Matthew 2. I have a couple of other things to um, take care of here this morning. So our third point in Matthew 2 is God's sending of the branch. Verse 19. But when Herod was dead, be behold, an angel of the Lord appeareth in a dream to Joseph, in Egypt, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and go into the land of Egypt, for they are dead, which sought the young child's life. And he arose, there it is again, Joseph batting a thousand, and took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. So he's following God's direction. But when he heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room, or in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither. 
right? So he was afraid to go, notwithstanding, in spite of that, being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee. So uh, he's going back to Israel, and he hears that Archelaus, Herod's son, is now the king. He's afraid to proceed, and, but God says, go to Nazareth, go to Galilee. Interesting, Archelaus, the name means ruler of the people. He was a Herod, Archelaus Herod. He was Herod the Great's son, and was even more wicked than his father. Now, imagine this. Imagine Rome, certainly not known as a righteous empire, righteous kingdom. This man was so wicked, even Rome couldn't tolerate him. And he was deposed. He was removed from the throne after only two years because he was so wicked. So even... There's even the world sometimes has a limit as to how far they will go. And so, he came to Nazareth. Notice in verse 23, he came and dwelt in this, a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Now notice, it doesn't say Nazarite. I think that's why most paintings of Jesus have him with this long hair, uh, because they confuse Nazarene with Nazarite. There's a difference. Um, anyway, people ask me, well, didn't Jesus have long hair? By the way, I'm so glad that the days of men with long hair are basically over. Oh, that was, I hated that. But anyway, um, how did I get on that? Oh, yes, I always tell people this. The Bible says it's a shame for a man to have long hair. Jesus Christ would not do something that the Bible says is shameful. I'm convinced of that. Anyway, I'm thankful that there's some of the newer Sunday school materials that give, give, him a hair, give Jesus a haircut. So he looks like he probably did. But anyway, he came to Nazareth. And there's kind of a scriptural play on words there. But first of all, let me say this, that Nazareth became the hometown and headquarters for much of Jesus' earthly ministry, so much so that he was known as Jesus of Nazareth. Even though he was born in Bethlehem, he grew up in Nazareth. In fact, the Bible says he, he returned there, and in Luke it says where he had been brought up. All right. So anyway, but now Nazarene, of course, is a derivative of Nazareth. From a Hebrew, the, the Hebrew name for Nazareth is Natser. Natser means twig, sprout, or branch. Now it was called that because of its small size and seeming insignificance. It was Nathaniel who said, when they said, we have found the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, it was Nathaniel who said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And so it's interesting that God... The Bible says in 1 Corinthians that God takes the things that are despised and the things that are small and the things that are weak to confound the mighty and the wise and the noble and all those kinds of things. And so God took that name. God even took the name given by a man to a little town and used it as one of the greatest descriptions of the Lord Jesus Christ. For example, so we're going to take a look at four scriptures, and then we're done. Let's go back to Jeremiah. This is probably the best of all. Jeremiah chapter 23. 
a glance is a, you know, it's, a, it's an offshoot. It's a twig. It's, a, it's that which is produced by the root. And let's keep that in mind. A branch is that which is produced by the root. Right? And so in Jeremiah chapter 23, we have one of the great prophecies concerning Christ. Jeremiah 23, 5, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, a netzer, nature, and the king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days, Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely, and this is his name, whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. And one of the great things about that is Israel's finally going to come to the point where they realize it's his righteousness, not ours. And they will turn from self-righteousness to supplied righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. All right, let's go to, um, so you see branch there, a righteous branch. And then um, Isaiah 11, let's go there, Isaiah chapter 11. Eleven, chapter 11, and verse, let's start at verse 1. I just can't read, i got to read this passage. This is coming. This is, this is millennial scripture here. This is what it's going to be like when Christ returns to rule on the earth. And there shall, there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse. And a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. There are seven things there corresponding to Revelation where it talks about the seven spirits of God. And shall make him a quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor, and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion, and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed. Their young ones shall lie down together. And the, uh, the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the sucking child shall play on the hole of the asp. That's a poisonous snake. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice den. That's another poisonous snake. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. All right. So that's going to happen in those days. That's going to happen during the millennium when Christ rules on the earth. All right, Zechariah, the next to the last book, book of the Old Testament. Let's take a look there, and then we're going to go to Revelation. Um, Zechariah chapter 3. Zechariah 3.8 Hear now, O Joshua the high priest, thou and thy fellows that sit before thee, for they are men wondered at, for behold, I will bring forth my servant the branch. 
And behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua, upon one stone shall be seven eyes. And again, that's the spirit, the, the fullness of the spirit. I will engrave the graving thereof, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, shall ye call every man his neighbor under the vine and under the fig tree. And that's always a statement of blessing and prosperity. Now let's go to Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22, the words of Jesus himself as he gets ready to close the book of Revelation. We're going to read 16 through 21 and then come back to verse 16. Revelation 22, verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And the, the spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify on every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. So there's that, that curse for adding to or taking away from the word of God. So the Mormons with their Book of Mormon, the, is the Muslims with their Quran, they are guilty of violating that scripture by adding to the word of God, all right? Taking away, you know, there are Bibles today that have, that have verses left out, all those things. But then this, he, he which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly, amen, even so come Lord Jesus. Is it not appropriate and that, that the last prayer in the Bible is even so come Lord Jesus? And we need, as we've been talking today, we, we need a revival of many things. But we certainly need a revival of biblical thinking toward death. In fact, we need, number one thing we need is to die to ourselves. We need to live a life of death, according to the Bible. The crucified life, death to self, taking up the cross. Yes, we need that. We need, to be, we need to have that attitude. We need a revival of the spirit of Paul who said, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. We need a spirit of revival of the longing for Christ's return. We, we, we've got, we need to cut ties with earth. And we need to start focusing on things above. Set your affection on things above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Amen. We need to do that. We need revivals of those things. We need a revival of longing for the coming of Christ. A longing for heaven. In America, it's so easy to get too comfortable and just tied down and just, just surrounded and wrapped up in the things of this world. You know? Well, then the last promise, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And once you notice back in verse 16, Jesus describes himself as the root and the offspring of David. Now, the root is where something comes from. Those of you who do gardening, if the roots are bad, you forget it. There's no you know, plant, forget the plant. It's not going to happen. 
interesting here. Jesus is saying, I am the I am where David came from. In other words, David came from me. I'm the root, but I also came from David because he I'm the I am the offspring. So the root of David is Jesus Christ as God, as creator of all things. And then as the offspring of David, it is the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said to the Jewish leaders, What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They said, The son of David. Well, the David said, or Jesus said, David, the David said, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. If he is David's son, and David called him Lord. So he said to the Pharisees and them, how can, the, how can the Christ be both the son of David and David's Lord? And then, you know what the sad thing was? They couldn't answer it. We have the answer. Because as eternal God, he was David's Lord. And as a man, he's the son of David. Isn't it interesting that even as the son of David, he's still David's Lord, David's Savior. So as let's so let's bring it end by going back to the beginning. As I said earlier, one question I have been asked a lot is why does God allow so much suffering in the world? I believe we have partially answered that question in the early part of this message. Because God gives man free will and allows him to choose. Somebody said he gives man a lot of rope, and unfortunately man uses it to hang himself and others. As believers, we need to remember two things. When we suffer, it identifies us with Christ and his people. And then second, our, our earthly suffering brings us great reward in heaven. Never forget that. And then soon, all of our suffering will be over forever. Only joy and blessing after that. Revelation. No, no tears, no pain, no death, no sorrow, no crying, nothing. Nothing. Nothing but joy and bliss and happiness and unhindered service for our Lord. I don't know what that's all about, but I know that Revelation says we'll serve him. We're going to serve the Lord up there. And that's going to be great. I don't know what, I don't know what that means. Um, I'm not, I don't know what it means that we're going to reign with him on earth. I don't know. Maybe, who knows? Maybe I'll be mayor of Meshoppin. I don't know. But anyway, you know, we're going to we're going to reign with Christ. And you know, Jesus said to his disciples that you're going to you're going to sit on twelve thrones, and so there's going to be ruling. There's going to be work in the kingdom and in, and in heaven. And then one other thought: back at the Garden of Eden, work was not part of the curse. Because before Adam and Eve sinned, God put them in the garden to dress it and keep it. There's work to be done. It's the futility of work and the exhaustion of work that is part of the curse. That'll be gone in heaven. We, there will be no tired, no fatigue. We'll be, and for the first time in our life, we'll be able to serve God without limitations, without hindrances. All right. Praise the Lord. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the word of God. And Lord, we thank thee that we know where our, that our destination is heaven. And at that point, we will
will see fulfilled your promise that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. And that's all because of Christ our Savior. And it's in his precious name that we pray. Amen. All right, let's take our hymn books and we'll turn to hymn number 149, please. 149. It will be worth it all when we see Christ. All right? Um, No, but let's just, let's sing verse 3, all right? Let's just sing verse number 3 of hymn number 149, when we see Christ. Stand, please. When we see Christ, life's day will soon be o'er, our trials forever past. We'll cross the great divide to glory safe at last. We'll share the joys of heaven, a harp of whom a crown, the tempter will be banished, we'll lay our burden down, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. Amen. Father, thank you so much for the promise all that we have to look forward to and um, just thank you that several funerals recently for believers whether it was me or or another pastor we made reference to that passage that we shall ever be with the Lord and wherefore comfort one another with these words and again God today please please bring comfort to those who have lost loved ones and and Father we just uh, pray that thou would help us to to uh, set our affection on things above, seek those things that are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Thank you for these great hymns that we could sing. The harmonizing of the people is, is beautiful. We thank thee for thy precious word. Guide us now, Lord. Watch over us as we go to our homes for a while, and then we pray thy blessing upon the service tonight, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs>